So hello to all, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, welcome to the Soccer Hub Talks. Um, it's a great pleasure to be here again with all of you. And today we have a special interview and conversation between Alan Pardew and Peter Gouveia. I will present them in a few minutes. But before we start, I would like to interact a bit with our audience, just know a little bit more about um, yourselves. So I would ask for you please to introduce on the chat box uh, some information about uh, your location and also what kind of job do you have. So please uh, use the chat to do it, okay? In the meanwhile, um, just to let you know that you will, will be able to uh, ask some questions both to Vitor and Ellen, okay? We just have to introduce the questions on the chat box. So don't hesitate to do it. Uh, I will be glad to uh, introduce the questions to Vitor or to Alan. And also to let you know that um, soon we will we have available a course with uh, Vitor Gobeya about how to build a soccer game model. So the course is already uh, in pre-launch, so you can visit our website and see more information about it. So now I will introduce uh, Vitor Gobeya and Alan Pardew to this conversation. Okay, we have now Vitor. Vitor, hello Vitor, how are you? Hi Ricardo, good morning, I'm fine, thanks. And you? Good morning, oh, perfect. Ellen, you are in now with us. Thank you very much for accepting our invitation. I will leave you now with, uh, with Vitor. Uh, before that, I would like just to present both Alan. Alan is an uh, experienced coach, uh, former coach of West Ham United, Newcastle United and West Brom with a long career. Uh, Vitor Govaya uh, already has 10 years of experience as a soccer coach. He's a UEFA pro coach and um, recently he launched a book only available in Portuguese at the moment called To Train to Play. So Vitor, um, the voice is yours. So I will leave you to you guys talking a bit and see you in a bit. Okay, but it's okay. Okay, Ricardo. Thank bye bye. For, uh, introduction and uh, for this invitation. Hi, Alan. For me, it's a huge pleasure to talk with you. This is not an interview, but um, a nice talk between two coaches. Um, it's a, it's a pleasure for me. Good morning, Alan. Um, Thank you. Alan, can you hear me well? I can hear you well. Can you hear me? Yes, and it's 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 fine. It's perfect. Uh, first of all, I want to apologize for my English is a little bit rusty, but I believe that uh, we can have a nice conversation and that you, you will understand me well. Sometimes I will talk a little bit slowly because it's important to have a good communication. Okay, that's fine. Your your English is much better than my. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I believe so. Alan, you started your manager career as a caretaker in Reading in 1998 is um, and your last experience was uh, last season with the, the West Brom squad um, in these more than 20 years of uh, experience how did you change as a coach it's a question and how did you um, see the evolution of the manager or coach uh, since then till now well, of course, uh, 20 years uh, has passed since I was at Reading, uh, and I went in as a junior coach. Okay. Um, and um, that time was uh, uh, two divisions below this Premier League. So the players were 
very, very committed, very, um, very focused on uh, their careers and where the, the, their career path. They're quite a young team. We achieved some good things. Um, the, the last few years in the Premier League, um, the players have got much bigger. Um, their social media, their careers are almost uh, independently uh, running in parallel with a football club. So um, it, it's very important that you understand that um, that they all have different responsibilities and different kind of ideas and you have to kind of manage that situation. It's particularly difficult when you leaving out international players who in their own country are regarded as big celebrities and, and big personalities and, and, and uh, you know, you have to justify that with your tactics and your coaching methods so i think it's a it's a more tolerant time in these in, in this era and you and you have to understand um that your game plan has to has to work and live with the players that you're representing okay and recently i was in the portuguese national coach football coach association and i heard mourinho Uh, talking about the uh, player of him that um, in a um, game, in a match, uh, 30 kilometers from Manchester, the player want to leave the stadium in a, in a top in a top car. Um, how do you deal with this or how must a coach deal with these kind of situations taking in your ideas that you are explaining about the difference between um, competitive levels? How do a coach manage a situation like, like this? I think it's important to that your your we call them lieutenants. Uh, you know your top players in the team um, who who kind of managing for you. So you know you put the principles in place, and they kind of see it through for you. So you come to an agreement maybe with four or five senior players and what the arrangements should be for everything regarding travel into the games and particularly after the game. Now I always had a single rule uh, that. Everybody left on the bus um, and we would stop not far from the stadium and the players could exit and get in uh, personalized vehicles to take them home to see their families or to gain some valuable time for them. So um, that's what I did. I think, uh, Jose, I think that was pretty much what happened in that scenario that you're talking about in the end. Um, But uh, for whatever reason, that wasn't uh, must have been agreed, and the player wanted to try and have an individual case. When a top player comes to you with an individual reason, it has to be a very, very good one: the birth of a child, uh, a, a family member uh, having some serious medical conditions. So, I think um, in those situations, yeah, you do make exceptions. Yeah, but sometimes I, I feel that the top goal. CEO of a big enterprise that deals with millions, um, but um, at the same time, it it feels that uh, in some occasions is the weaker link of the of the chain. You you know because it's uh, almost underneath the shadow of these kind of star players. Um, and regarding leadership, um, what for in your opinion, what are the greatest challenges um, to a top level coach nowadays? I think the biggest problem, and social media has played a part in this, is top players lacking 
the personality to to transfer information to other players. You you see so much now of players with headphones in the dressing room, and it's becoming almost like you have your own regime as an individual in the dressing room, and that might include uh, your own exercises, pre-exercises, which is fine, but with your headphones on. And actually, the camaraderie of the group might only just be when they return from the warm-up for like four or five minutes. That I don't necessarily think that's long enough. So, you know, some, some managers you know, don't want headphones. Some think it's very important. I had a couple of um, very religious players who felt it was very, very important to listen to their messages in religion before. And, you know, you have to kind of understand all of that. But the real problem I'm trying to get at is that in the past, a lot of players would have some serious leadership qualities as vocally and 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 and, and within their body actions that, that everybody could feed off. And there's less and less of that. It's almost like you as a as a coach, you're kind of really wanting it to happen. You want a senior player to stand up and demand from others, you know, and that's where I think when I speak to other managers uh, of my ilk, that's where, and actually all through the levels, uh, we're all struggling for that kind of player. And I think um, this attachment to your phone and your, you know, Netflix and everything else that we, the, the, the young people are really sort of engaged with at the moment is causing us a problem of leadership in the dressing room. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe it's um, a crisis of values and clash between uh, different generations. But uh, but uh, there, there are challenges that a coach must uh, um, be able to to face in, uh, in this, these times. And you talked about um, your first experience in writing because I, I asked you, um, and you t you coach. Uh, Premier League teams like Newcastle, West Brom, more recently. Um, what, uh, in your opinion, what is the main differences difference between um, a top team like the ones you trained in the last years and the, the team, for example, that you started training uh, 20 years ago? What are the differences between a top-level team and a, a lower-level team? Focus, the quality, the technical technical quality. What do you I think, think it's about? A yeah, I think the the leadership side of it and the, the desire to win has always remained the same. You know, I played, I actually played myself at non-league uh, before I was a professional, and it was no different. And sometimes the work rate of those players uh, can be higher than perhaps even the best professional. But when you get to the top top level, there's a real focus on their um their their job and that might be whatever they're bringing to the group whether it's technical ability or they're bringing uh speed or they're bringing endurance they might be bringing everything <laughs> you know a top player like hazard for example at chelsea you know his endurance the sprint at the end of games is as good as at the start of games plus all the technical quality you get and that is the level you're talking about so when you get to that level you, you understand the, the, the players that you've managed before at a lower level don't quite have all those attributes. So, of course, they make more mistakes. And, and, and as a group, you make more mistakes. The margins are smaller when you get higher up the level. And therefore, um, 
when you are playing at a certain level, let's say two levels below the Premier League, uh, the, the other team is making as many mistakes as you are. There's a lot of transfer of possession. There's not the control that you can have. So it's it's a combination of a lot of factors, but the the, the big the big issue I've I've seen, not not in desire of win or anything else, it's just the combination of putting it all together and delivering it on the day, the consistency of that uh, was uh, greater at the higher level, of course. Uh, Alan, this is an interactive uh, talk. Um, I have here a, an interesting question of Joshua Kalenga. He is asking you what is the most rewarding thing about your job, about being a coach? What do you enjoy the most on that? Yeah, I think if any coaches who are listening to this, and this is a sort of coach's platform, I think the most rewarding thing is to see improvement under your leadership of a player, whether it's a it's a, a trait in their personality or it's a technical skill that you've improved. I think most of the players that I've improved over the years possibly um, would be more as a person rather than technically. Um, and you have to remember that you, you, you have to put all those things in place. Don't let some behavior uh, get into, the, into, the, into certain individuals. Uh, try and address their behavior if they're alienated other team members or your staff, as well as the technical stuff. And when you see a player grow into something else, like I look at Adam Lalana, I had him when he was at, uh, I had him at Southampton, and um, I could see he grew quickly And, uh, and now I see him at Liverpool. Of, unfortunately, he's injured and not playing too much these last year or so. But as a person, I can see he grew and become this lovely, rounded individual, plus all the technical ability. And I think they're the sort of things that, that I, I find pleasure in. And that kind of evolution, not uh, not only um, in technical and technical and technical and technical issues, but uh, also about the personality and um, the growth of uh, of the group. The formation of, of the group. And regarding, um, do you only seek for good players, or the human uh, values, the human part is also important to, to you? I didn't understand that question, Vitor. Can you say that again? Okay, I will repeat. Um, when you build up um, a squad, a team, um, you only seek for good players, or you only you also like good players with uh, good and strong values uh, and a strong personality that can match with your own values as a coach? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because obviously you're more ingrained to, to have a connection with players who are of your ilk. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, you have your kind of work values and your same sort of drives to, to, to win and, and uh, or whatever. But there are some players that, that are complete opposite to you. Uh, but you have to understand their mentality and try to to grasp um, where, I mean, Wilf Sahar at Crystal Palace is a player who has enormous technical ability. Um, and there were times when I found it difficult to understand his focus on the game, uh, what he was trying to deliver. Was it for the team? Was it for himself? Um, and, you know, it, just discussing with him and and, and and understanding his frustrations, i.e. players not giving him the ball enough when he was in opportunities, when he made runs, he wasn't getting the distribution. And his understanding of the, of the, 
uh, the capacity of the squad, what we could do and what we couldn't do was important. It was one of the main reasons I signed Yoan Kabayek to, to Crystal Palace uh, was to get more out of Wilf Sahar. I knew Kabayek could find him uh, and bring him more into the game. So it's those it's those kind of connections you have to you have to understand where they're coming from and try and draw draw them in by giving them something that that, that makes them bond with you. Okay, absolutely. I, absolutely. I hope that answered that question. It's a difficult question. Yeah, it's not easy. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> absolutely. Alan, uh, changing a little bit the, the theme. The Premier League started in 1992. Um, the changes since then are are tremendous uh, in several areas. Uh, regarding the game itself, I believe that it changed a lot in the style of play, um, in the speed of the game. Um, beside the normal evolution of a sport, uh, in parallel with the improvement of all the surrounding conditions, what um, are the factors that contribute, contributed the most to this evolution of the game? You know? Okay, well, firstly... Uh, sports science took a big hold in the Premier League and our, and our ability to uh, get players uh, to perform at a higher level on a consistent basis has grown through that, i.e. Uh, making sure that their well-being and their recovery was correct. That was one side. Um, tactically, the game um, has changed. Of course, the Premier League being the premier team, Premier League in the world is going to attract the best coaches. So our influence from Arsene Wenger through to obviously great Portuguese managers like Jose, etc., and now German managers like Klopp, Spanish managers like Pep Guardiola, we've had a world feed of tactics. So I think Premier League is at the cutting edge of tactical play. And in the last three or four years, there has been a significant change in one position that has really affected the game, which is the goalkeeper and the distribution of the goalkeeper. So when I was a successful manager in 90, I don't know, 2000 or whatever, um, you could put a high press on the quality team and you could win the ball back. You, you had a great chance to win possession back in the last third and obviously have a great maximum chance of scoring. Now the goalie is beginning to defeat that press. So a lot of the lower teams in the Premier League can't afford to do a high press because the goalie will chip it to the wide player. He will hit it on the back of your back four, particularly the Liverpool goalie who, who can do uh, a Man City goalie. They're probably the two best distributors. Not only have you got the two best teams, but the, the goalkeeper stops you from trying to damage them. And... Um, It's their, it's their level of um, control, their level of their mental level of, of tactically have being aware uh, of what the team uh, can achieve by, by beating that press. Because if you don't press high press a top top team, then you're almost going to concede more possession than you, than you might not have if you could if you could afford to do a top press. So that's an interesting thing. And I think all coaches now are looking at their goalie to say, well, we need a goalie that can distribute and be as calm in possession as they are and be a kind of almost like a Librio. You call it that in Portuguese uh, uh, from, from the goalkeeper? Yeah, a few years ago, we call it Libro, uh, almost. Uh, yeah. 
almost the same. Uh, yeah, that's that's very interesting. The, not, not just the influence of um, um, foreign coaches and also players, because I in 1992 sure. there were 205 players in the first journey of the championship, and uh, recently about 80 players. Of course, that. Uh, um, do you think that this affects the development of English players? Um, because now nowadays the English players doesn't have so much space uh, in the Premier League like it they they had 20 years ago. Um, do you think this is negative for the British players? Uh, in some ways, yes, um, because you know even um, even at the lower end teams. You, you might be carrying 15, 16 international players. And these young players, not only in my time, because I played in the top division, which would have been Division One, I didn't need to get past international players. They were in the, in the top league in England. Um, now you have a young, two young players at, uh, at Chelsea, for example. Hudson, unfortunately, got injured yesterday and lost his cheek. These two young players have to get past the players of the ilk of Pedro, uh, and and William to get in the team. I mean, wow! You got they, these guys have got to be really uh, top end players. So the loaning system in England is is something that we are all very very concerned about because if these players don't get match experience against men and understand that people's livelihoods are at stake in the first team, because in the reserves and in the second team, I'm afraid. It's not that important. But if you're starting to affect a senior player's livelihood, you've got to deliver. And and it's only when that finger is pointed at you by a senior player and a coach do you really understand what the game is about at the highest level. So, yes, the opportunities are less for the English player, but the the experience, and uh, and this is the other side of the coin, the positivity of playing with 20 international players on the training ground every day is only making our players better. And we actually, right now, probably have the best young players in the world, I think, in terms of under 16, under 17, under 18 national side. For the first time, and this is not by no coincidence, I think it may be um, it's the influence of you quite rightly stating about how many top international players we have in our, in our squads that are raising the level of our young players. It is more difficult to get in, but when they get in, Foland, uh, for example, at Manchester City, wow, this guy is can only learn. So how much could he learn off David Silva every day? You know what I mean? Wow, it's what a learning experience and to have the top coach in the world as well. Yeah, because um, the competition is, is crucial to develop players because yes. they, it models the players. But uh, as you were saying, the... Um, being able to, or having the opportunity to coach every day with the fantastic players uh, very uh, absolutely uh, alan bring a little bit uh, back um, talking about the goalkeepers and uh, their influence in the um, style of play of a team um in what way do you think the goalkeepers affects this style of play of, of the team because nowadays we see uh, city Manchester city uh, sometimes building up with the goalkeeper more two players or three players and a few few years ago this was almost unthinkable and in what way 
do you think a goalkeeper is crucial to the way a team attacks not only the distribution but you see ederson in manchester city not only him but he's a good example he can not just play uh, with short passes but he also has the capacity to yeah. to give rupture uh, passes uh, in what way a good goalkeeper can affect the style of play of a team not only distribution Well, you know, I hear coaches say, well, you know, ultimately they have to save the ball. You know, that's the most important job uh, and make crucial saves at crucial times. And, yeah, it's you important know, to forget that. that is important. <laughs> uh, and uh, De Gea probably uh, is the best at that part of the game. But, you know, I would favour the other two goalies you just mentioned there, Edison and Alisson, because uh, their range... Uh, is so brilliant tactically. I remember when we played Manchester City, they had a tactic that if a team attempted a high press, uh, that the goalie would smash it as hard as he could on the back of your back four and the two wide players would run off the line inside of the fullbacks and almost and, and score, you know, relatively an easy goal from the goalkeeper's kick. It was quite clever how they did it they almost invited you to come and say come on then and then bang they so it, you know as a coach it just widens your armory to sort of go okay from the goalkeeper situation we could literally score uh, with one pass let alone you know building a beautiful tack and coming through the team and that is that is the beauty of both man city and liverpool i think over some of the top european sides that i've seen they have the ability Uh, from the goalkeeper to score an instant goal, uh, as well as uh, making a 48 pass move uh, to score, you know, with a tapping finish at the end. So um, that's how crucial they can be. But I think um, uh, this is a, this is a great development for the game. We we we've talked over the years about how negative coaches have made the game with a defensive block and you know, and uh, drilling their teams that make it very, very difficult, park the bus, you know, we've obviously the Jose's famous quote, et cetera, et cetera, um, of how coaches can, can strangle the game. But the goalkeeper now is, is making, a, making that more difficult. And, uh, that can only be good. And uh, the fact that we're playing out and trying to encourage players to take risks in the final third, in your own final third, really is, uh, as you say, gone to another level. I mean, in my day, you know, if I did that, my coach literally would try to strangle me. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, it's interesting because um, it turns the game much more unpredictable for the team, for the defensive team, because if you um, lower the block, You have play. You are facing players that can be able to manage small spaces with a huge mastery. If you pressure high, you must control the the space in the back of your defensive line. So I, I believe it's um, also constant to to think in which is the best way to to stop this and to prevent uh, some very very difficult against those two teams in particular because of the goalkeepers for sure. Yeah, I believe so. And so, Alan, um, how do you see the evolution of the games? What are the trends uh, of the of evolution of the game in the next 10, 20 years? What is your um, uh, thinking about this? Well, I think um, one 
thing that will change at football clubs. I think the head coach, the manager, whatever, the, the mister, whatever you want to call the guy who is organising the team tactically is going to need help from his technical director because, as you say, the player's power is such that you need two, you need two sources of power to keep them in line. And I think Jose mentioned that at Man United, that he didn't feel he had enough support network around him. And I think coaches are going to come thick and fast. I think mood managers will become uh, a thing, like a coach will stay. And then, then, you know, you looked at Real Madrid, and I'm going back 20 years. They change their manager every year, every year, every year, every year, every year. And I think a lot of the Premier sides, you might see more managerial changes, but technical directors staying in place and making sure that the philosophy of the club continues and the manager comes and works within the philosophy of the football club. And I think that's going to be a big change, uh, particularly in England, because I think on the continent that has happened uh, for a long time, but in England, not, not so. Um, and I also think that um, there, will come a, there will come a tipping point of social media. I think at some point, um, managers uh, are going to need more from the players. And I think that the saturation of the telephone will end. I think um, I, I see some celebrities already talking about leaving their phone at home and, and trying to understand more about life. And I think it will. I, I don't think we're going to be so ingrained in front of a laptop going forward. And I think that social element of the dressing room will come back to us again. I really believe that. And we might need to, I don't know, uh, ban the phone from uh, certain areas uh, or, or not need to. One way or the other, that will evolve. I genuinely believe that. Okay. Very well. Um, Alan, regarding the development of... Um the game model of or the uh, one idea of um, of a way to play um joan Nuno fonseca is asking us what um, are the most important defensive and or offensive behaviors that you uh, start the in the in the pre what is most important for you when for example when you are working the defensive um, moment of your team yeah, I, th I think pre-season is very much a, a time to, to nail down with your side the disciplines of defending. Because um, normally in pre-season, you're coming up against... I, I like to take lesser teams, whatever level I'm at. I will take a lesser, a lesser standard of team to play against, particularly to nail down defensively, to make sure that against these lesser sides, we, 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 we don't give them any opportunity. We understand... The attacking players in particular understand that we need to have a solid base for them to, to, to deliver. And then as the preseason um, uh, gets nearer to the end, I start focusing more on the offensive side. We now have the solid base. We now know our defensive duties. Now, how are we going to break down a low block? How are we going to find a route? How is our goalkeeper going to um, find a way past a high press? And, and try to, 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 to be a little bit more kind of uh, loosen up the group a little bit. But I, I genuinely think if any coach is listening to this start that first two weeks, I would, I, would, I would steer away from the imagination of the group 
someone like Kabai, I would totally ignore some of the technical brilliance if he produced it in that first two weeks and just focus on his position where he should be defensively. And then as it, as we grew the preseason, four weeks, five weeks, let him let that type of player start using their imagination. It's important to have a consistent, consistent basis uh, when you start uh, working with uh, with a team, uh, and um, almost is a tendency, a trend to put all. But it's important to to have a, a hierarchy, a priorities to to start work, working with them. To, to yeah, have one, one, one point I would add to that, Vitor, is um, that you also need to the preseason is very very important to bond with that your lieutenant players, your, your players who are going to be your leaders, you know, on the, on the field, to really get the message to them of what you are trying to deliver. Because if they can, if they're with you, then, wow, the job is so much easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, you have sergeants uh, that are your oh, right. Yeah. That yeah. Are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, and um, about the, the system or formation, um, it's an important component of uh, the game model. Um, in what way is it important to, to you? Uh, I know that you used uh, several formations, the 442 in Newcastle, 4231. Um, in what way is the formation important to you? Yeah, I think the formation of, I think the problem we have, we have so much analytical information these days. That you become, you you can become a little bit offense, defensively kind of obsessed with the opposition. You kind of go right. This is what they do. Right. This is let, let's let's really focus on stopping them. And then in doing so, you take so much away from yourself. So you have to remember what your what's your assets of your team. What's the setup of your team? What is its strengths? And um, I, I look at Burnley, for example, who changed the season round. This year's in the Premier League by by making it keeping four four two keeping their two big strikers on a very direct side, but they're two wide players, very much almost central midfield players, and a very very tight four. They did that so well last night. Charm, their midfield four was very very compact, not much room uh, to get in between the lines and let the wide the the the, the superior opposition or so called superior opposition have the wide areas. So. Whatever your base of your team is, whatever it is, the setup is important. But it's also the balance of of dealing with the opposition, not getting too too much uh, bogged down by that, but uh, be able to play your own game. And um, you know, a lot of the game in the Premier League, particularly in the area that I've worked, the bottom ten clubs, that area where you don't have the finance to go and be a top top team, um, to to kind of know on transition um, and when you have possession how what's the best way you're going to score how do we score and I always used to ask my teams that okay we're playing Man City how are we going to score I mean you know we all know we have to defend very very well and all of that but how are we actually going to score because at some point they will score let's, let's accept that let's accept that they are going to score two goals so how are we going to get two goals oh gaffer you know a set play blah 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 on transition we need to, yeah yeah that's it okay let's go <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, uh, being a um, football and opposition game it's important to 
to have the, some information about uh, the opponent, but uh, I also agree with you in this in this point because is when you subjugate your team, your idea only to the kind of uh, opponent you have, you will uh, pass fear to your players. You will not pass uh, trust in uh, in your own work, right. and uh, that's that's uh, that's interesting also. Um, Basically, putting fear into a team is very very easy, mm-hmm. and I've done it myself. And after the game, kicked myself thinking I put too much fear in the team today you know I, I inhibited them so we didn't have no imagination no shots on target you know and then you must look at yourself as coach and be honest and say I've got that set up you know we got the feeling wrong there somewhere yeah but, but Alan that kind of critic uh, spirit about our own uh, job it's important to keep us uh, connected to the reality uh, because when we think we are doing things well. We will fall at any at uh, any moment. Uh, Absolutely, uh, I believe in that. Um, Alan, what um, being the game model? Um, the game model transmits a kind of identity to a team. Uh, what is the? Um, what are the most prominent characteristics of a team managed by by you, by Alan Pardew? I think I like to think that my teams over the years have always had energy. Uh, a commitment to to try and win from whatever scenario um, and mainly um, we my teams have always had amount of flair uh, in the team I always set my team up with a certain amount of flair now sometimes that's backfired on me because there can be times when those flair players don't deliver offensively and they don't de- deliver defensively and you can get uh, a big defeat. And I've had some big defeats in my time. But I also believe if you've got a lesser team, if you don't have enough flair in the side, you don't offer any threat. And, and, I, and so if someone said to me, what do your teams represent? I would say a threat to the opposition. We, op- we, 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 we will be a threat to the opposition on our day. We might not win. We might not be the, it might not be our day. We might not deliver on both those levels. But, it, but we can. And, uh, and and I think um, managers who've played against my team, my teams probably recognise that my teams are dangerous. Um, uh, they're beatable, but they're dangerous. Um, okay, very nice answer. Um, Alan, uh, just almost ending, um, what was the job that uh, most uh, pleasured you? What was that that job that you have to choose one one season one team? What was the, the best season as that you felt you had as a coach so far? Yeah, I mean, um, I did have a standout season at Newcastle when we finished fifth. Obviously, um, it ended up as coach of the year in the Premier League and stuff like that. That was an amazing season when you just had the right balance in the group, and uh, when a player come out, another delivered. We had. Uh, a strong mix of offensive and defensive players, um, so that would be that would be the year I picked. But also my first year at Crystal Palace when uh, they was in a relegation zone uh, to lift them to, to mid table and uh, a different kind of look. So those two years were my What are your professional plans for the near future? When we will see you again in the bench. 
Yeah, uh, well, I'm I'm ready to go, and uh, you know, like all coaches, there's this thing about you know your friends and your colleagues in the game. They say, "Oh, where are you going? Where are you going to end up?" Of course, as a coach, you can't answer that. You, you don't determine where you end up. It, somebody else does. So hopefully, um, I'll get an offer that um, I, I have to come up to. Yeah, I hope um, Alan, thanks a lot for, for this um, conversation, for your sympathy. And it was a real pleasure for me. I hope all the best. You, I, do, I desire all, all the best for your future. And uh, maybe again in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> Vitor, I wish you all the best. It's been very lovely speaking to you. Okay, my top man. Okay, okay, guys, we're, we're, we're out of time. Thank you very much, Alan. Thank you very much, Vitor. A wonderful job, Vitor. Um, uh, thank you very much for being with us. Alan, once again, thank you and see you soon to both. Okay, bye bye. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. -bye.